When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I am today's part-time host, Simon Brooks, and I have some great stories for you on this episode. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. I thought today I would tell you a little bit about who I am. You already know I'm Simon Brooks, And you might have guessed that I'm British. My accent is a little messed up as I've been in the United States for a long, long time. I began life at an early age found under a rock telling stories to elves. Radio had not yet been invented, and cars were a thing of the future, unimagined at the time of my birth. When I was a child in Burma, clouds were learning to paint themselves, birds were learning to fly, and animals with growing fur coats meant only for their bodies. I passed Bethlehem before Christ was born and saw Muhammad preach from the mountain and sat with Buddha at one of his ashrams. I saw Sita being rescued by Hanuman, Lakshman and Ram. I've seen Enkidu dance with Gilgamesh, and I ran to stop Snow White from biting the poisoned apple but failed. I was there to watch the wicked witch dance to her death in red-hot iron shoes, and Iron John mend his heart. I met Nora Dooley when I first found out about New England storytelling, which was Lane's back then, the League for the Advancement of New England Storytelling. We ended up on the boards together, and I've seen Nora perform a number of times. She's an activist, storyteller, artist, amongst other things, and can tell a really good tale. She's a fabulous woman. Please enjoy Nora's telling of Rosoni's luck, a story of true justice. Justice, mercy, and revenge, or Rosoni's luck. It was said of the cobbler Rozzoni that he should thank God for bad luck, for without it he would not have had any luck at all. One day he was walking into town. He had just sent a nail through his thumb, and it was bandaged, and he had knocked a piece of leather into his eye, and that had a patch on it as well. Bad things come in threes, he thought, and he crossed himself as he was crossing the bridge into town. But just as he got onto the bridge, a big cart came trundling up behind him. It was so large and so overloaded that he had to jump up onto the stone railing to keep from getting run over. And the cart swayed this way and that, and then knocked into Rotsoni, and he slipped and lost his footing and fell to the river far below. Now his luck will have it, and can we talk about luck and Rotsoni in the same story? Well, yes, this kind of luck. Rozzoni fell right on top of Vincenzo Vendetti. Vincenzo Vendetti was fishing on the bank below, and Rozzoni fell on him and broke his neck, boom, and killed him dead. 
Rozzani also broke his arm and his leg and was covered in bruises from head to toe, but this was just the beginning of his troubles. He was barely well enough to stand up and hobble when the Vendetti family hauled him before the judge. Now here's a bit of luck that everyone, even Rozzoni, shared. The judge in their town was good and wise. I, mean, I know what you're thinking. This has really got to be a fairy tale, but it was true. It was a wise and good judge that Vendetti and Rozzoni family came before. They sat in the courtroom on either side, the two families. The Vendettis were howling for blood. We want justice, they cried. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We want Rozzoni dead. The judge said, what is it that we seek to do here? We want to find justice, said the Vendettis. We want to make amends, said the Rozzonis. We want exact and equal justice, said the Vendettis. Rozzoni killed my uncle, said Vincenzo's nephew. Then Rozzoni, he killed my cousin, or my son, or my husband. They all spoke one after another. Rozzoni killed my father, said his son. We want him dead, they all said together. Then the judge asked Rozzoni to speak, but he could only say, Your Honor, it was an accident. The judge asked the Vendettis, Isn't Rozzoni also an uncle, a cousin, a son, and a husband and father? The Rozzonis nodded and murmured, Yes, yes, that's so true. But never mind that, said the Vendettis. Rozzoni is alive and Vincenzo is dead. Give us justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Very well, said the judge. Although I think what you ask for is not justice, I will give you justice anyway. I hereby order that Rozzone be put to death. Well, all the Rozzone family took in one breath and then started to cry. Rozzone nearly fainted in his wife's arms. Here, said the judge, is your exact and equal justice. I sentence Rozzone to sit by the river at the foot of the bridge and fish. One and only one vendetti may jump or be pushed, as they choose, and fall on Rozzoni and kill him. This is exact. This is justice. And it is also without mercy. So, said the judge, looking hard at all the vendettis, trying to meet their eyes, who will be my volunteer executioner? Well, the vendettis stared back at the judge, and then they looked at Rozzoni, taking in his injuries and bruises as if for the first time. Finally, the Vendettis were silent. Well, was no one going to volunteer, asked the judge, no one? Is that your final ruling, asked Vendetti's son? Well, I can give an alternate, said the judge, but it will be final. Oh, please, said everyone in the room. Very well, then, said the judge. Rozzone, as soon as you are well, you must help care for the widow and children of Vendetti as long as you and they may live. Capisce? You understand? And you, Vendettis, you be careful. You never ask for justice without mercy again in my courtroom, for I may give you what you ask for. The peddler of Swaffham dream divining services has been in business since the 1300s. Lost the keys to your chariot? Worse yet, your castle? Have John Chapman come spend a night in your esteemed company and he swears on his word he will dream where they can be found. Scrolls unreturned and cannot remember who has them? Pot of hidden gold or silver misplaced? Silver slipper wandered off? Then send a message to the peddler of Swaffham, Norfolk, 
and he will do his utmost to uncover your lost. Pedder of Swaffham, finding things since the 1300s. The wind was howling, rain blowing hard across us at 45 degrees. It wasn't so cold, but it was windy and wet. Mo had her ears and head down, tail low. She was not happy at all. We struggled through the woods, but they were getting darker and darker as clouds thickened. Mo was getting anxious, so I decided to put a leash on. Last thing I needed was my dog to go running off into the woods and me having to find her. After all, bears are starting to come out right now, and I didn't want either of us meeting a hungry bear. I decided to turn back. The trail was getting slippery and the woods dark. I tripped on a root and fell between two great rocks. The rocks had at one point been a single boulder, but ice and time had split it into two. They were large. Each side rose up at least ten feet, and the gap between the two rocks was narrow. As I fell between the two of them, a deep rumble and a clap of thunder followed a flash of lightning. Mo pulled on the leash in the opposite direction to where I fell, but luckily I had a good grip with the leash wrapped around my wrist and pulled her with me. This was fortunate, because as soon as I fell between those two great stones, the rain stopped. The sun was out and it was hot. The grass, the little grass that there was in this part of the forest, was not brown but bright green. I saw flowers in full bloom. As I raised my head, I saw a makeshift camp in the woods and what looked like Robin Hood and his merry men. Well, I would love to tell you what happened, but this is not my podcast. Mo and I were fine and after a few days we came back to where those two rocks were and made our way back. When we returned, it was still cold, but not cold, and it was raining, and the lightning was still going on. By the time we got home, only a couple of hours had passed. It was all a bit odd, but a lot of fun. I have not yet met Richard Martin, although we hail from the same shores. Well, he comes from further up north in Cheshire, where they make incredibly good cheese. We're both Brits, and we are both in foreign, as it were, countries. I am here in the USA, and Richard, he lives in Germany. I hope we get to meet in person one day, as we share many emails and thoughts about what we do. We have even sort of traded stories. We didn't trade this one. Richard is very good at sharing his work, and this is his version of What Brings Happiness. Once upon a time, there was a king, and the vizier was quite a good friend. The sort of friend that the king would invite at the end of the day, and they would sit there together, drinking their wine and discussing this and discussing that. Uh, One of those philosophical points which they would sometimes discuss is, what is it that makes a man happy? Now, the king would, he would say, it's just fate, it's destiny. You know, look at me. I am the king. I was born that way, so of course I'm happy. And the vizier would say, no. Oh, no, 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 no. If a man is happy or not, 
depends on him. If he's got it in him, he'll be happy whatever fate gives him. Because the king wouldn't believe this at all and they'd discuss and they'd drink and they'd discuss and they'd drink until one day, one evening, they just happened to start on this old favourite discussion again when the king said, I'll prove you are wrong. Come, let us disguise ourselves and we'll wander through the streets of the town and then we'll see what we see. And so, off they went. And the king's idea was, what the king always does, to find a happy man. And they wandered and they wandered and they wandered. It took them quite a long time. Because, you know, a happy man, not so many of them. You're nodding your heads, you understand that. But at last they came down a street, and it was a poor street. In one of the poor quarters of town. And there was a man sitting, they could see him sitting through the window, they could see him sitting there at the table with a, a bottle of wine in front of him, glass in his hand, and a big smile on his face. <gasps> Said the king to the vizier, look, I reckon there we found our happy man. Let's go and see whether he really is. And they knocked and they entered. As they were sitting there, the king, in disguise, said, hmm, seemed to be a happy man. This is true. And he said, of course I'm happy. Of course I'm happy. Oh, tell us why. Well, look, I'm a carpenter. I make things with wood. Now, every day, I go out into the market in the morning and I say, here I am. Someone always comes and gives me some work to do. And, you know, I get a bit of money, I've got enough to bring back, enough to give to my wife for food, I've always got a little bit left over for a bottle of wine. So of course I'm happy. See. And as the king and the vizier walked away, the vizier thinking, yeah, you see, he's got it in his own destiny, whether in his own hands, whether he's going to be happy or not. The king said, no, I'll show you. And the very next day, the king gave a proclamation, as kings often do in stories. And he said, no one may give any work to carpenters. Yeah. Forced unemployment, you see. And he said, oh, vizier, vizier, we'll go back in a week and see how happy that man is. And back in a week they went. They went back in disguise. They came down the street, they saw through the window, the man sitting at a table. And on the table there was a bottle of wine in his glass, hand a glass and a smile on his face. Well, they went in, in disguise still, and the king said, ah, oh, glad to see you are still happy. Yeah, because I'm happy. Uh, because we were wondering, we, we had heard that the king had given a proclamation that no one might give work to carpenters. Ah, yeah, that's no problem, no problem to me. Now, I've turned my hand to painting. I can paint anything, I can paint windows, I can paint walls, oh, I go into the market and people always give me some work. And at the end of the day, I've got enough to give to my wife for food. There's always just enough left over for a bottle of wine. I'm happy. 
And as they went away, the vizier looked at the king and smiled. <laughs> you wait till next week. You wait till next week, said the king. And the very next day, of course, you know what proclamation he said. No work for painters, scum of the earth. No one must give them any work. And so it was. A week later, in disguise, back they went. And what did they see? You know. <laughs> there it was, the uh, window, table, bottle of wine, glass in his hand, and a smile on his face. Well, we are delighted to see you still so happy because for some strange reason we know that the king has issued a proclamation, no work for painters, uh, but yet you're still, yeah, of course I'm happy. Uh, you know what I've done? I have joined the king's guard. Oh, I get so much money and there's always plenty left for a bottle of wine. And, oh. <laughs> right, said the... Uh, King, um, <clears throat> very next day, of course, what did he do? He cut the salary of the king's guard, just like that. <sighs> Week later, still in disguise. Window, table, glass bottle, smile on his face. Ah, <gasps> oh, delighted it is. <laughs> we had heard that the king's guard no longer got very much money. No problem at all. <laughs> Do you know what I've done? The sword they give me for a gun. I never have to use it. What I've done, I've sold that sword. Oh, I've got so much money. I've got enough money for wine for the year. <laughs> but does the king not notice that you're not carrying a sword? I never have to use a sword. But remember, I'm a carpenter. I made a nice one of wood. I, I painted it. It looks just as nobody knows. Oh. And of course, going down the street afterwards, the smile on the vizier's face was even larger than the one. I did. You wait, you wait. No, no, no. I am the king. I am that man's destiny. I shall ruin his happiness. And the very next day, the king sitting on his throne. He commanded the prisoner to be brought up from the dungeons, a prisoner who'd been sentenced to death, and said, now is the time for execution. I shall have it done here. Uh, yes, one of my guards will come and uh, cut off your head right now. Uh, you! Come, draw your sword and Execute the man. And of course, you know who he was pointing to. <laughs> who came up and said, Very well, your majesty, I shall. But, your majesty, let us remember uh, that we are only human. Our judgment, royal though it may be, is always perhaps a little at fault. And uh, only Allah himself knows whether this man is really innocent or really guilty. Uh, in, I cannot kill an innocent man, but I shall draw my sword. And if Allah knows the man is not guilty, why, I pray to Allah, may my sword be turned into wood. 
The man's innocence was proved. And you also know how it was that the king realised that is what makes a man happy or not. And so it was the rest of his life he had two viziers to advise him. Thank you very much. <laughs>